right. Well, people of the internet, welcome to the No Laugh Track podcast with Acme. Uh, Brian Miller sitting in for your regular host, Justin Severson, and we're here with uh, Frank Conniff. TV's Frank. Hey, hello. Dana Gould is back. TV's Dana Gould. TV's Dana Gould. It's been uh, <laughs> it's been a couple of years since we did this. I know it has been. I thought I thought I came here every year, but uh, you I guess uh, I canceled lied. last year to film something. I yes, believe. I did. Uh, you were still on the books. Yes, and you had. Is that, I believe uh, was it was it the um, the uh, the uh, the Dave Grawl the project with Dave Grawl. No, that is still was pending. It? I'm still. Oh, actually, still I will probably be writing some of that tonight. Oh, excellent! No, yeah, and you, I think you were talking to me about that two years ago when we worked together. That yeah. was the. I think we talked about that a bit. That was the things take a long time. Yeah, that was the, <laughs> that was like the the new kind of idea that yeah. you were, that you were yeah. working on. Yeah, it's uh, it's just I'm writing it. I turn it in a draft, and you get to do revisions. But it's a uh, it's an idea I had, not exclusively based. People just think it's a lot like the Metallica documentary, some kind of monster sure. about a band. Oh, that's that the effects thing. Yeah, um, I, I was also influenced greatly by a book called "You Never Give Me Your Money," which is specifically about the Beatles' breakup, Ooh. about how they broke up, what went into how they broke up, and then how they managed their relationships with each other for the rest of their lives. It that goes sounds right fantastic. Into, it's so fascinating. And because it, it's like a marriage, I mean, it, it, it's like you have to deal with these people. Yeah, you have no choice. Um, uh, not that that's what marriage is, but like <laughs> it's like a marriage. A marriage. I don't know. That, is a decent definition. It's like a marriage that isn't has a problem, but you still have to, you, these people are in your life. And when yeah. people get divorced, they always say Yoko broke up our marriage. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the amazing thing, like especially if you watch Let It Be when they're just fighting, what they don't have is like they never had a guy that just sat there that wasn't afraid of them going, mm. you're being passive aggressive, you're being manipulative, you're being right, like, right. sure. You know, and like, like John Lennon goes, you know, I'm not John anymore. I'm John and Yoko. Yeah. And like no one ever said. Well, that's incredibly unhealthy. (laughs) That's actually, that's not good at all. (laughs) I get that your mom died, but your girlfriend's your girlfriend. You know, it's like all that. There is that weird, like if you talk to therapists about it, like there's so much like, I mean, that was like a codependent, like such a brutally codependent, unhealthy relationship. Yeah, I mean, I'm not But you a, celebrate it as a this romantic I'm, ideal. I'm not a uh, Yoko basher, and I say God bless her because John loved her, and she, and she made him happy and, and all that stuff. But when I watched that long documentary, that like miniseries documentary about them, it was just very jarring when... Suddenly, like they're all in this, st- and she's like there. It's yeah. like you know, you're you're not a be, you know, yeah. you're you're awesome, but you're not a beetle, you know. Yeah. So Well, that was the thing. It just he seemed weird. Well, that's the thing that you learn from this book is that he basically, prov- like, he wanted to break up the band, but he didn't have the balls to do it. Mm-hmm. And so finally, McCartney did it. Right. And oh. that infuriated him mm-hmm. that McCartney had the balls to do it where he didn't. But like, yeah, he brought Yoko in where they were like, who the fuck is this? Yeah. And all did all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like he still wouldn't break him up. It was, took McCartney to go, I'm out of here. Fuck this. Huh. Yeah. You, I usually guys he probably. Was, he had the first solo album of them all, right? Yeah. McCartney. Yeah. And if it wasn't for McCartney, we wouldn't. It's great. Yes. John Lennon wrote Imagine, but Paul wrote Coming Up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and silly love songs. And Biker Like an Icon. Yeah. I feel. I always feel weird because I always hated Imagine. And I always, it's, I, it's, it's like hating the sunshine and everyone hates yeah, it. But it doesn't hate Imagine. It's just, I don't know. I've always hated that song. I love John Lennon. Love the Beatles, but. I, I've, I like this song. I've never been, I don't think I've been passionate about it, although. When Neil Young sang it at the 9-11 benefit, you know, I was yeah, that, sobbing. Yeah. yeah. There's a great line in an Elvis Costello song called um, uh, Hurry Down Doomsday, where he goes, uh, was it a millionaire who sang Imagine No Possessions? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, ex- ex- yeah exactly. I-, I, read some, I actually read an article from some musician who said he hated that song, and he said, imagine there's no possessions from a guy who had a whole room built for his fur coats. <laughs> I was like, yeah, exactly. Well, he's yeah. the, no, but he, John Lennon had to imagine no possessions. The rest of us know He had like. so many possessions. It, it was a, an act of imagination for Yeah, him. if I sang the song, it would just be called No Possessions. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no possessions. Ah, imagine, right there. imagine some possessions. 
It's a song by a coke addict. I don't even think I can. <laughs> Just imagine if I had some possessions. That'd be great. Would you like a hot plate? I love a hot plate. <laughs> so anyway, that the show that I'm writing is about a, a, a shrink, a band with a shrink, and the shrink's actually more fucked up than the band. That's sure. And the engine trying to keep the band You're playing the shrink, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, but be so great. if it goes, but then I'd have to not do the other thing that's so sweet. What's the other thing? I'm actually acting on a show that's about to start shooting called L.A. Noir. I just saw that on the I- your IMDb page yeah, today, actually. Well, I... that Curtis Han- is it Curtis? Not Curtis Hanson. Who's producing that? Uh, Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont, right. Frank, Curtis Hanson yeah. did uh, Confidential. The L.A. Confidential. Yeah, yeah but... I actually play a L.A. detective in 1947. Wow, that's uh... amazing. Yeah, that's for the... a guy who's into crime. It's the coolest thing I've ever done. And I'm just play it straight. I'm just, wow. I'm about as uh, you know hilarious as... As Kevin Ty in emergency, <laughs> hey, he, just like, some, he he could deliver. He a could, line. No, but it's all like it, when we shot the pilot. Frank was like, just flat because it is written in the patois of the day. Sure, but they don't want any affect. They want, so it's like there's a line like, uh, you know, that's a good place. Yeah, if you're a yeg, which is a which was a expression of the time of a criminal, mm-hmm. but. You had to say, like, yeah, if you're a yeg. But no, like, yeah, if you're a yeg. Right. They, don't, they don't want, like, the Jennifer Jason Lee and the Hudsucker proxy no, kind of like. that's exactly what I was thinking of. And I blame the directors on that because oh. no one ever said, take that. I had- I bet they told her to turn it up. Yeah. The Coen yeah, brothers, I, I, I bet they told her to tell it up. That's what they were going for. I yeah. agree. She got, she, 1930s. She yeah. caught the shit for that, but she yeah. was... Well, the stuff with Bruce Campbell in that is good, because he can... I mean, that's him. Right. He's but, already a cartoon. Yeah, he's already a cartoon. I mean, I love others, that movie anyway. Hudsucker. Yeah. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. But is it is it is that the Hudsucker proxy that she's in that? Yeah, that's the yeah, one that's where, the one where she's, she's the right. wise-talking reporter. Right. Like yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. She kind but, of is separate from the Tim rest Robbins of the movie. But Tim Robbins doesn't way. do it. So no, it she's the only one who does yeah. it. I well, think. yeah, but her and Bruce Campbell, he's the <laughs> yeah. other reporter. They yeah. do it. But then yeah. isn't is she's the one that played Dorothy Parker too? Too. Yes, right? Jake Johansson. And then that, in that was movie. another. Yeah, he. And that was Jake another. Johansson's in that? Yeah. That was another example of where she really went out on a limb with the with the uh, accent that she used in it. She tried yeah. to talk. I guess she'd heard a tape of Dorothy Parker, and I thought it was a good performance, but people had problems with that, too, of just the way... Was it that heavy? Heavy kind of... Uh, um, I don't know what you'd call the accent, but it was... The Walter Winchell like, accent? That's yeah. how I think it's of it. Robert, yeah. Robert, hey, 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 hey. yeah, Robert <laughs> Klein said, it was the little rascals, it's guys who start every sentence with say. Say, what's going on? Say. <laughs> <laughs> say, what are you kids doing? <laughs> so would you, would you be a... a, a, what a like what would your who who else would be in the noir the LA noir that they're working on? Uh, well, um, of course you have me. I'm blanking on everyone's name. Um, it's a lot of the people from The Walking Dead. Jeff Demon uh, from oh, The sure. Walking Dead, and um, he's going to hate me because I'm blanking on his name. The, oh, everybody the, was mad because they spoiled the guy. They kind of spoiled. Yeah, the guy played Shane. The, yeah, because yeah, they're Shane, like, oh, he's going to get cast Shane. in this other show. And his last name begins with a B, and I'm just. Tired from flying in and they Barenthal, came, John Barenthal. John Barenthal, yeah. yeah. Who, Great actor. I, and the nicest guy I had to drive on the pilot, I drove a 1946 Dodge, oh, this tank of a car mm-hmm. through Baldwin Hills at two in the morning, like 11 times mm-hmm. with two other. It was one of those great, like, dumb. There's a really great actor named Danny Roebuck, who's a really good friend of mine. He played Leno in The Late Shift. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's in a good. lot of stuff. And he's an old friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. And he's a, he plays my partner in the mm-hmm. L.A. Noir. And uh, they said, uh, uh, you guys, either one of you guys drive a shift? And I go, I, I can drive a stick. Maybe you want to drive the car? I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll drive it. And then so it's like me and three other guys having to like drive these cars. And it's like driving a Mack truck. <laughs> and my feet are barely touching the ground. And it's a... <laughs> The shift is on the steering column, and I literally am like driving down this dirt road, trying not to hit the other old cars that the LAPD mm-hmm. museum has loaned us, but also then come to a skidding sc- stop about five feet from John Bernthal, who doesn't have any protection outside of his ability to get out of the way. <laughs> and, and, and and halfway, I did like take seven, I turn to Danny and I go, you know how to drive a stick? And he just goes, yeah, I do. He <laughs> <laughs> just knew he wasn't going to yeah, nice. <laughs> If you paralyzed a member... Rookie? <laughs> if you paralyzed a cast member of The Walking Dead, the uh, irony would be far too uh, rich. I used to, 
the show what a great guy Berenthal is. I got one time I got out of the car and I said, John, I'm trying really hard not to kill you. And he goes, We'll just do the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be? I, I can't. It'd be like your first like dramatic. Yeah, role, yeah, it is. Right. I mean, I'm trying to, have you ever done anything? Well, my else last this? Showtime special. <laughs> 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 no, it's yeah, no, it's yeah. the first straight acting I've done on like a film. I've done yeah plays and things. How'd you get hooked up with that? Was it? I mean, it's it's right up your alley. It's it's your... it's the it's the craziest thing. It's I've, nothing like this has ever happened to me. <coughs> Excuse me, ever. Um, I know Frank Darabont through uh, a guy named Greg Nicotero, who's the lead makeup guy on Walking Dead, and is now one of their directors and producer. And he's a really good, really good friend of mine. And I've just met Frank through Greg, you know, because uh, Greg K, Greg is the effects guy and makeup guy in all Frank's movies. And uh, he literally just texted me. He did me. the makeup on uh, Morgan Freeman's voiceover, right? That's right, he did. <laughs> That's right, he did. Um, and a lot, and a lot of the scenes with Michael Clark Duncan in the Green Mile, uh, it's actually. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and they put a. I didn't know who to say. I didn't know who to say. John Coffee like the drinks. It was it was Mason Reese. (laughs) I just met Mason Reese in New York just recently. Are you sure it wasn't Bruce? <laughs> no, it was. Uh, well, maybe it, maybe Bruce Valanche lost a lot of weight. But, oh, is he Mason Reese skinny now? No, uh, he yeah, he's not. He's he is Mason Reese in the early seventies was like this giant star. Yeah, he was, he was a a literally child. giant star. But he was a child. He looked like the Hobbit, and he did I a lot of commercials on the Upper West Side. He he like owns a bunch of restaurants and stuff. He does. Doing very does well. he still have the terrible page boy haircut? No, he had kind of long hair. You know, he kind of looked like a little tiny hippie, kind of. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, if you Google image Mason Reese, you'll understand why it was successful. But long story longer, I got a text from Frank Darabont one day that just said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I I thought that he probably wanted to have me write some jokes for a speech or something. I I, that, sure. I, I get that all the time, every day. Got one today, and uh, I said, "Not like, right. rock, no, not today." Will you like to write a Christmas card <laughs> for Aaron, the newsroom, or something? You know, just like, <laughs> um, and it was just, it was. I said, "Well, I'm doing A, B, C, D, but uh, you know, I'm around. What can I do do for you?" Because uh, Frank is the greatest guy. And I have you in mind to play a detective in this thing. It's a show. It's a recurring role, but I think it gets some really cool stuff to do. And you know, you have you know, it's up to the network, and you know, you have to audition everything. But I just want to see if you're even interested. No problems if you're not. Oh, excuse me, I have to get the door. He opened it. It was you. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> right. Like I was. No, my first thought honestly was who, and I called Greg Nicotero. I said, who does he think he's texting? Because <laughs> I don't want to embarrass. And I was like, Dana. Who? What was the guy in Twin Peaks? Dana <laughs> Ashbrook. Is he still acting? You're next to Channing Tatum in Dana, my phone. Elliot, so I, yeah, uh... Elliot Gould. <laughs> no, I gave him your number. He's, it's you. And that would be. I think it would be great. If you played a part that was meant for Elliot Gould, <laughs> that'd be the greatest thing ever. But, uh, but uh, no, and I, then I, you know, I had to go in and audition and test and and do go through all the hoops. But I did get it, and it was the coolest thing ever, ever. And then it just got picked up. So that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's you, pretty cool. And what is the because uh, you're interested in, in crime. <laughs> well, that sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you're going to go commit some. Uh, I love murder. <laughs> but you, you, you know, no, I love vintage. vintage I love vintage noir. crime. Yeah, not I just love modern crime. I love modern crime. Yeah, uh, like I'm a James Elroy freak. I love. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, no, I knew I. The book La Noire is the show La Noire mm-hmm. is not based on the video game. It's based on a book by written by a guy named John Bunton mm-hmm. that is about the battle for the soul of L.A. The LAPD was notoriously corrupt mm-hmm. and. Mickey Cohen right. and Bugsy Siegel and Jack Dragner. There's a, there's a uh, Sean Penn movie. Yeah, that's, that's coming out called Gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That basically ran L.A. until Chief William Parker took over the LAPD and they became the LAPD that was the urban army up until Chief The upstanding Gates, gentleman we know today. Up until Chief Daryl Gates. Oh, wow. Turned it 
you know, in, in the Rodney King thing. Oh, so there of, was a period before Gates where it was it, it was turned oh, yeah, around. When you watch Dragnet, it was like the LAPD were like the 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 epitome of an American major city police force. And right. It was because of Chief William Parker. Oh wow. And uh, so they wrote this book, and I bought the book the day it came out. I love that stuff so much. And then when it was like, it's single, I was like, no, I have the book. I know the book. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I actually play a guy that was, I play a real guy uh, named Tug Purcell, who was one of the mob squad detectives. Tug's the great thing about um, a book like that, or, or that period, too, is because it's not just the crime. It's just the whole era and, yeah. and what the Milieu. world was the milieu <laughs> of what it was like and 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 what it became you know it's yeah. it's it goes beyond just the grisly murders which are fun yeah but, which are but, which are a delight <laughs> great era for murder golden era for murder yeah. <laughs> what, what what about crime of that era draw is it is it the trappings of the era with yeah, the suits and all a, that yeah, on top yeah, of yeah. the yeah and especially like the black dahlia murder which was so was such a modern crime yeah, in in uh, in an old era in like 1947, like people just hadn't seen anything like that before. Right, it was right. like, what the hell is this? Yeah. yeah, it just really. I mean, in LAPD, in the LA papers, before she became uh, coined the Black Dahlia, it was called the Werewolf Murder because it was just so mm. grisly. Wow, this woman for the people who don't know was you wouldn't think literally that if torn you, apart. If you ha- I never knew that before. Yeah, you wouldn't think that if it was called the werewolf murder, they would have a brain. Th- we need something else. Yeah. Werewolf murder isn't, <laughs> isn't quite not it. catchy. <laughs> it's not quite it. I mean, I see where you're going with that. Does anybody have any? Come, everybody, come back tomorrow with five pitches. <laughs> It's true, and it, and it well. They went then. They went with the sex. They played the sex yeah. angle, which is you know mm-hmm. exactly. I like that. that's but how in newspapers newspapers. Let's conjure up werewolves and see what these yeah, uh, people yeah. make of that. And if we can't spread fear that way, what was the thing? There was I was looking at this poster, an old poster for the creature from the Black Lagoon, and it said, "Centuries of passion pent up in his savage heart." I was like, we got this movie about a fish monster. How do we sell it? Well, I think we focus on his passion. (laughs) What's his passion? (laughs) I don't care what he likes. I want to know what his passion is. Well, he wants to paint, but he's good at computers. You know, (laughs) that's how he makes his money, but it's not what he does. The QWERTY keyboard with the flippers. Very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. Now you're writing, dog. <laughs> Pound the keys. Remember that, that stupid poster? That poster was always like that uh, That really sexy. It was like she was in a bathing yeah. suit, right? And very oh, yeah. Was very sexy. I love the, the creature movies, actually. It's one of my favorite Universal Monster series because it's kind of the stepchild of the Universal Monster yes. series at this point. No one revives the creature. Is, do you think they've no tried. Rev- they've tried. Do you think part- There's a lot of very interesting... Behind the scenes creature photos on my Tumblr. Really? DanaGould.tumblr.com, yeah. Really? Yeah. Does, is, do you think part of it is, I think Universal owns creature because it's an original creation, so you. Yeah, they are. Whereas, like, Frankenstein is public domain at this point. Yes, it is now. They own the uh, image, the Karloff. Right, Flathead, but you can do Bolts ah, the Frankenstein. Neck. Yeah, and they are doing two of them now. Sure. But you can't do a ah, creature. Because no, Creature was an original creation. Yes, Creature. They I, creature yeah, I wrote a Creature story. And I was like, ah, oh, he's got a universal. Oh, that's interesting. I actually have a question uh, that I've... Um, with the Wolfman, you probably know this. Mm-hmm. I play the, the Wolfman. That, <laughs> I did. Uh-huh. And Greg Nicotero's short movie, I did the whole oh, okay. six-hour So hour my question about that was, uh, I think there was this writer, uh, Kurt... Syed Mack. yeah. Did he he invented it? It wasn't mythology, right? Was it just something he invented, or was yeah? It? Well, there were there were gypsy mythologies about a guy, but uh, he invented the silver bullet, the uh, full moon, oh, did yeah, he all really, the, yeah, oh. and uh, yeah, the wolf's bane was that part of so? The in other words, original. it wasn't like like a Dracula or something that had been around. no. He kind of came up. He there was with a it. movie called Werewolf of London. Like there were uh, werewolves before the Wolfman, mm-hmm. but all the thing about the silver bullet, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's all Kurt Sidemack. Well, a lot of Dracula. And his brother Robert was a really yeah, good director. Huge screen, right? Yeah, director. Oh right, Robert Sidemack. That's right. Yeah. I that name. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of Dracula is like Stoker was taking liberties that we've now incorporated into the older legends. I from from what I get, you know, the yeah, like we think. I, I was reading. I read. There's a book called like uh, the History of Monsters or the Science of Monsters. It's really uh-huh. interesting. And the guy goes back to like scientific explanations for the beginnings of myths, and he traces them through the oh, that's fascinating. How they develop into you know silver bullets and stakes through the oh, heart. Oh, I'd garlic. love to read that. Yeah, it's really interesting because it, yeah, it's. Um, Talks about, it's, it's the religious of monster movies. It's the religious of monster, but less, it's less smug. He doesn't gloat about the whole "there's no monsters" thing as much. He's like, not a no, dick about it. I hate to tell you, people, there's no monsters. <laughs> if you believe in monsters, you're an asshole. <laughs> actually, Bill Maher's great. Actually, like that movie, but <laughs> you can edit this. Um, oh, that's really fascinating. I'd love to read that. Yeah, no, that is a, a lot of the. I mean, there were werewolves things, but a lot of the the tropes were just invented by mm-hmm. uh, Kurt Seidmack. That's a great movie. Speaking of uh, monster movies and things you're obsessed with, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, always, always a favorite. Dana always, yeah. I, I have not talked to you since it came out. I oh, rise. When I, when I saw it, I thought I, I was thinking, "What do Dana thinks of this?" I thought it was great because I really enjoyed. It. I thought not I was going to hate it. I, I really it. thought I was going to. Not hate only it. did I love it, I saw it at a drive-in. Oh, where I saw the original ones. Oh well, that's oh not. really. And I that's a drive-in my, movie. Called my it is, and I called my dad, and I said because the drive-in that I saw the original Planet of the Ape movies is still going. The Menden Twin in Menden, Massachusetts. That must be the only drive-in left. Just no, lot. there's one in Southern California we go to all the time. Oh, we got one really? just uh, we got yeah. near the city. One near the cities here. Yeah, oh, we're kind, of, kind of doing a comeback. Mission Tiki in Montclair, California. Mm-hmm. There's not many drive-in though. That's for sure. But uh, but yeah, I I, yeah. I really oh, like just it. to finish point. Oh, yeah, my sorry. my dad. I called my dad last summer and I said uh, because he I used to make him take me to see the original Planet of the Apes movies at mm-hmm. that drive-in. I said, mm-hmm. uh, are you going to go to the drive-in to see Planet of the Apes? And he said. It's been Planet of the Apes since your friend was elected. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love that your jokes about your dad are unfiltered stories it's about just, your it's, dad. It's just journalism. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's journalism. You're a stenographer for your... No one finds... But uh, he gets a big kick out of it. That's uh, So, I, do, first off, your original series, do you have a favorite Planet of original favorite... Oh, the original. The original, just, just yeah. the, the first one. The original is my favorite movie of all time. Sure. And it's, it's really, my second favorite movie of all time is Ed Wood. The okay. Tim Burton, not an yeah. Ed Wood movie, but the Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, right, well, although, your Halloween special, you had the... Plan 9 might be my... <laughs> <laughs> yes, and well, Scott and Larry are very good friends of mine. And Larry Karaszewski is always going, well, you know, since I wrote your second favorite movie... <laughs> <laughs> Ed, Tim Burton's best movie, I would say for sure. And that that what a great yeah, nothing touches that, that and uh, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, ooh, well, Pee Wee's is yeah. pretty great. I, too. I, think I always forget about that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, I always forget he directed yeah. that. Yeah, and and he actually contributed more to that than people think. I mean, he knew enough to let Paul handle the Pee Wee stuff. Like he didn't get right. into what was, but like all the scary clown oh, stuff. Oh, that that's was all, Burton all over. All yeah. Him, yeah, when 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 Pee Wee gets menaced, it's it's a Burton menace. Yeah, and I I thought Frankenweenie was great. I saw Frankenweenie I twice. Seen that I thought yet, it was great. It looked. It I looked saw it fun. twice. I loved it. Really funny. And so, I hated Dark Shadows with yeah. a visceral intensity. It's yeah, funny you talk right. about Dracula. You know, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. Mm-hmm. Which, when a big director tries to make a horror movie, they're never scary because they they're over, big. They're not. They intimate. just over. They overboil everything and they overthink yep. everything. Well, they go. We're doing the Bram Stoker story <laughs> about Dracula finding his lost love. That's actually not the book at all. Mm-hmm. That's not no. in the book. That's Dark Shadows. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's true. <laughs> that was. Da- mm-hmm. that, uh, that I was, never thought about that. Yeah, You're right. That, that is, is dark. That is. Yeah, it's Dark Shadows. That is not Dracula. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. so funny. Yeah, the NBC like, mini. We're or, doing the Bram Stoker. No, you're not. You're actually doing the Dan Curtis version. <laughs> Dan Curtis. Yeah, that's true. That's a yeah. uh, well. The dark. The Planet of the Apes thing. What, what, what did you? Th- <laughs> this is super nerdy, but the, I, I thought it was really. I was surprised how by instead of having men in ape, ape suits, mm-hmm. but having him them be more animal like. Yeah. I was surprised how that altered the tone of the movie. And also, yeah. in a, in a uh, one thing way. about that movie. Um, I'm certainly not the first person to make this point. Is is the incredible performance of uh, Andy Circus? Circus. Yeah, it's just heartbreaking. You know the scene where they have to leave him at. The, it's horrible. I can't, I can't oh, yeah. watch that yeah. scene. Yeah, it's it's like 
The James and, and Franco brought... is very realistic, too. <laughs> well, that's the thing is Franco is not ideally cast, but he's not. That's the Under, kindest thing the I've ever The understatement of the year. He's going to put that on his reel. But, uh, <laughs> that's like saying Whoopi Goldberg is in Fall Down Hilarious. The circus should have been nominated for an Oscar. It yes, was, he should have been. It was amazing. Uh, a beautiful performance. It's, am, it's amazing. Yeah. That performance is amazing. That performance is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting in the second one if they talk more because it's weird when they talk. I right. did think at the end when he did speak, he should have spoken. Spoken in Roddy McDowell, like he still should have had this fey British voice. <laughs> Caesar is home. Like, he still should have had this fey uh, British voice. <laughs> that, that would be a terrible. There's no box office in the South, though. If you have a gay-sounding evolutionary being, they, you know they're like, no, I don't believe nothing well, about this that's movie. In the Battle for the Planet of the Apes, where he was fierce and effeminate. <laughs> Fight like apes, <laughs> you scallywags. It kind of changes when you say Caesar. It kind of changes the even Julius Caesar. Caesar. And too brute. Yes. A two. A two. A two. I figured. Well, 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 um, I figured. Off of, because when he, when he asked you what was the best Planet of the Apes movie, I knew you were going to say the first one. But besides the first one, what's of all those sequels that they made, what's the best one? Well, they're, they're varying. I think the best... I love Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. which Rise of the Planet of the Apes is basically a remake of. Mm-hmm. Just because it's just fighting. The riot, it's the riot one, right? Where <laughs> yeah, they just yeah, the it's just the riot, riot yeah. and it's mm-hmm. it's just it's the mo- the movie is a twelve year old boy. It's just <laughs> chimps and gorillas and green and red with machine guns fighting cops in black, and it's just it's just an orgy of testosterone, like adolescent testosterone. It's just great. Mm-hmm. Um, beneath the Planet of the Apes. I'm actually going to do a segment about it on my podcast. It is the one of the weirdest motherfucking movies. And that was was that the first sequel? Yeah. But by the end of that movie, you have telepathic mutants without skin praying to a hydrogen bomb (laughs) fighting underneath the remnants of New York with gorillas with machine guns that talk, while two astronauts that have time-traveled from the future are planning on detonating the thermonuclear bomb to end the world. You just get to such a crazy... Like, how did we get here again? What is... It is, by the end of that movie, it is so incredibly... There's, it's like a turducken of lunacy by the time you get to the end of that movie. I think that's what my parents from Kentucky actually think happens in New York commonly. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, you got your mutant, your mutant no-skin telepaths yeah. pointing to some bomb in the waiting, subway. Waiting to take your crap. <laughs> yeah. And then Escape, but, but Escape from the Planet of the Apes was the cleverest sequel because they blew up the Earth and they just mm. made a sort of a reverse of the first movie. Mm-hmm. But when you watch it today... It is. It is literally. It was made in 1971, and it is literally mm-hmm. an hour and a half Love American style with chimpanzees. <laughs> <laughs> it's insanely like light and drippy and goofy and Stuart Margolin pushing a bed down the street. Yes, Stuart Margolin is in it. People's attention spans used to be Herculean compared to what they are. Oh, you, you watch an old movie and it's like, Jesus, people are totally into this. Oh, I was telling my wife, like, oh my God, you have to watch A Shot in the Dark. It's the mm. funniest movie. And then you watch it and it is just turgid. <laughs> it is just like I watching remember peanut when butter I, fall. I saw A Shot in the Dark uh, Saturday night, the movie, uh, NBC Saturday night, the movies in like 1965 or whenever. It was and, 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 uh, at the time I thought it was the funniest, just about the funniest yeah. movie I'd ever. There seen. are two laughs in it, and they happen really? in the same scene. <laughs> See, I haven't watched it all this yeah. time. Yeah. I, it, it's in when my you mind. Watch, it's always yeah. been. When you watch it, you will be gobsmacked mm-hmm. at how slow it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two laughs. You killed her in a writ of Felish Jage, and then he puts his hand on the globe, and, it, and his hand goes into the the thing in the globe. Ah, mm-hmm. It's the same. The two jokes in the movie happen in the same <laughs> second. Uh-huh. But then, but then again, my favorite, in my top favorite movies, Doctor Strangelove. To mm. this day, I find just pants pissingly hilarious. Yeah, me absolutely. Too. And that me was made too. in '64. No. Yeah, 64, You're right. No, I'm not, and I'll tell you why I know I'm not. It's okay. sixty. It was made in '62, '63. Right. No, but it, it was released in '64. Right. Yeah. It was released in '64. It was made in '63 because Kennedy's the test. Screening was November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Oh right, I heard that. Yeah. And there's a scene where he says where he's going through 
Slim Pickens is going through the survival gate. Two rubles, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, and it's you know nylons. It's really yeah. funny. Guy goes shit. Guy have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with this. Mm-hmm. It's looped. If you look at him, he's saying Dallas. Uh huh. Oh, you told me that, and yeah. I I, check, I noticed yeah. that the next time I yeah. watched. Guy it. Guy yeah. a pretty good weekend in Dallas for this. But I, I think that uh, 1964. Was was a very important uh, year for move for just in, in what movies became because not just Doctor Strangelove but uh, A Hard Day's Night came out in 1964. Yeah, it's funny because nothing musical happened in '64 really of any significance. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but, no I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing uh, with you. you know, and and those were kind of like that. I feel like those were the start of the of '60s movies of '70s yeah, movies. Both British know. directors too. Huh? Both British directors. Yeah, British yeah. Movies. When did Lolita come out? That came out in '62. '62. Oh, that's yeah. before Strange Love. The fact, yeah, he, he yeah. That the was, fact that they made that movie and they made it in '62. Yeah, was unbelievable. Pretty, but but uh, Kubrick in general, his stuff just holds up like every time you yeah. You watch Strange Love is funnier almost. I think Strange Love is funnier. I think the scenes where. Uh, Peter Sellers is trying to get Sterling Hayden to give him the code. Uh, it's the funniest brilliant. scene I've ever seen in any movie. Nothing comes close. Uh, yeah, and I've I, I've watched that, and and that's the funny thing too about the movie is that it's it's so cartoonish. But that particular scene you're talking about, and and Peter Sellers' performance yeah. as Mandrake is he's he's playing it completely real. Yes, the yes. whole time he's not being cartoony. It, yeah, and 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 the realness of it. Really, just is is, is it's beautiful. Is it's be- unbelievably yeah. hilarious. Yeah, and 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 also, it's rare. The, the other thing about that movie is, you know, like Peter Sellers was, you know, like a nuclear bomb of talent, uh-huh. yeah. and he was he was ra- he rarely met his match on screen. Mm-hmm. Sterling Hayden, yeah, yeah. was like there's absolutely there's absolutely nobody dominates that scene. Sterling mm-hmm. Hayden gives it as good as Peter. Sellers. It's just like. It's like watching like Ali Frazier. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, he's punching him just as it's hard amazing. as he's punching him. And there's a there's a flub in that that they kept. Mm-hmm. And I only I, I learned all these things just from the commentary track. Uh-huh. But there's one where he goes, Mandrake, get over here. Feed me this belt, man. He goes, I can't jack the string and my leg is gone. Which he got the word wrong and he, he just said the string and my leg is gone. Which doesn't make a lick <laughs> of sense. Doesn't make a lick of sense. And and you can hear Sterling and go, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and he, can, he just keeps going, yes, this string, I've got this gamey leg and he just kind of riffed, but that was riffing. He fucked the lineup. Oh, I think he's hilarious. like, you know, and, the and- string in my leg. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> And you know, the last time when we went up to Seattle, we had another long conversation about strange love. So uh, I'll just bring up what you told me was that um, George C. Scott's performance was yeah, oh, yeah, 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 was he didn't want it to be that broad performance. Yeah, and, and he, he thought he was to... getting Jennifer Jason lead. Yeah, he wanted to play it. He, there were a bunch of takes where he played it real, and, and then what'd you say? Kubrick said, "Oh, just play this one. Yeah, just do it." And those were always the takes. Yeah, he that, and, and George C. Broken. Scott was pissed off about. I hated that. it, and he was like, "To this," but even later, go, "That's not my performance. Wow. That's not the performance I wanted to." Give. But it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's it so is great. brilliant. Yeah. And there's another thing where, like, I, I think the. All these stories were on the tra- the analog tra- or the whatever you call it, commentary track. Like, you know, George C. Scott wasn't, you know, was fancied himself a chess player. I did not know that. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. a pretty good chess player, mm-hmm. and so Kubrick's like, "Oh, let's play. I'd love to play chess with you. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll we'll play with film, right?" And Kubrick just raped him like <laughs> consistently, and that's how Scott like learned to trust, like, like grudgingly trust him because mm. he was just such a clearly. Well, he uh, was a chess champion, I believe. He was a ge- uh, crazy yeah. genius at like fourteen yeah. things. Yeah, like George C. Scott would labor, and then Kubrick was just like, eh. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, no, he was like a crazy chess genius, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we use actors like chess pieces. Yeah, he's like, I've got a strategy, and I don't really care what you want. You're going to go to this square. Yeah, and if if that's awkward for you, that's a shame. There's a great strategy story that Sidney Pollock told on some Kubrick documentary. Eyes wide shut, I bet. Yeah, yeah, and literally just walked in the door, and it was like eighty takes. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Sidney said, "You don't don't think you got it?" (laughs) (laughs) And Stanley said, "Well, you want it to be perfect, don't you?" 
<laughs> what are you gonna do? I don't know. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Hey Frank, what's your favorite movie? My favorite yeah. movie is Emmanuel in Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? Where the boys are eighty four. <laughs> I have um... Where the Boys Are eighty four. <laughs> It just it took me a minute to realize how funny a reference like <laughs> Not Where the Boys Are. Where, where the, the Boys, boys Are 84. I actually uh, used to own a movie called Where the Boys Aren't. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I have the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> George C. Scott's performance wasn't yes. very good in that either. Up All Night with Susanna Hobbs. <laughs> I have um, uh, one of my uh, very conventional choice, uh, Citizen Kane. But it's such a great movie, but yeah, everyone gives yeah, you shit great. if you say you like it. because they, But it, people have forgotten how great it is. And how funny it is. It's yeah. funny. It's entertaining. It's I love uh, every second of it. In other yeah. words, I love, for somebody, this makes no sense, I love the RKO uh, logo yeah. in that movie. Even though it's the same. I think the RK logo is better in that movie than it is. <laughs> Even though it's the same logo. <laughs> well, the first time and you can see I, the ceiling I, part I, of it. So I, I love, like, literally every moment of it. I love the scene where, at in the credits, when they say, here are the Mercury players that were new yeah. to movie. Like, I love that yeah. moment, you yeah. know? And I love, it's it's just, and it's a movie that has a lot of, Resonance for me because my father worked for Hearst and, and really not not the old man he worked for his son William sure. uh, Randolph Hearst Jr. and it's just a great newspaper movie it's 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 you know it's a great work of art but it also is is like a, a you know a, a funny American it's terrific movie. yeah it's terrific <laughs> as they said in the poster yeah no it is and, and and there are special effect shots in that movie that you don't even realize are special effect shots mm-hmm. but the fire wasn't the fireplace an effect shot to make the fireplace look huge don't they shoot that at some weird could be i mean i know there's angle. one that uh, the scene where Joseph Cotton is typing the negative review mm-hmm. of Susan Alexander's mm-hmm. opera performance and, and Kane is behind him in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years they said, how did you, how are you both in focus? Because mm-hmm. that's impossible. And yeah. he goes, well, we had a device deep focus. Mm-hmm. That people, and it's, yeah, Greg it's, Tolan, who yeah, became the master right. of deep focus. Yeah. But I, that's a blue screen shot. Uh-huh. He's actually, it's oh, two really, shots. It's a, really? co- wow. it's a composite shot. Yeah, and you know that scene too, where um, uh, Jed Leland uh, passes out of the typewriter was actually mm-hmm. based on an actual incident in Herman Mankiewicz's. You know, who wrote, wrote, wrote came movie. up with the idea yeah. and, and co-wrote the screenplay, where he worked for in the twenties at the New York Times for George S. Co- George S. Kaufman was the uh was the head of the uh drama um section of the New York Times and, and Herman Mankiewicz went out and got drunk. Uh, he he went to review a play and he got and he and he came back to review and in the middle of his review he fell asleep. Oh that's <laughs> the, so funny. At the typewriter and uh and, and Kaufman fired him but then, you know, hired him back eventually. But um but but that was all based on kind kind of based on an actual th- thing, and I and I read. There's a really great book about Orson Welles called uh, Rosebud: The Story of Orson Welles by David Thompson, hmm. who's a really good writer. And uh, the story of Orson Welles is asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's right next to where the boys are eighty four. Actually, it's located in the same section. Orson the author of Orson Welles' is Taint. A- Orson Welles' asshole: A biography. Actually, uh, Orson Welles. There was a big frustration where he spent for years. He tried to get financing for where the boys are eighty four, <laughs> and then someone else ended up making it. A it's, sterling it's, young ingenue. But no, Ginger he, he, But anyway, David. Thompson this book talks about how um what a great what a great character moment that is where um uh where Kane uh says I oh I'm going to write the review as he was going to write it I'm going to write yeah. a bad review it's yeah. it's like such great um insight into his character mm-hmm. you know Absolutely well, I've got my candy store <laughs> Such a great movie What's your least favorite movie Both of you guys <clears throat> oh, that's you know that can be depending on what I just saw. That, really, you don't have one that like just like like a shard of glass that like rides up under your skin. Oh, I don't know. Uh, or like in your eye, maybe. <laughs> Another bad place to have a shard of glass. Uh-huh. Um, Jake Johansson once described 
I never forget this. Putting in a contact lens is like having a toenail in your eye. <laughs> I, I never lost that image. I do. What do you do? You have a least favorite? Movie? I just had this conversation with Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Uh-huh. Oddly enough, um, uh, I. It's, I, just so you know, Scott Alexander's is this is Cinerama. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is that, that doesn't even really yeah. count. We were talking about like the we were just talking about the worst movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, Larry Karaszewski's is Big Jim McClain. Oh, with John Wayne? Yeah, yeah. That is a horrible movie. (laughs) Even though Mike the Cop from the Abbott Costello is in it. Yeah. Show is in it. And Harry Morgan is in it. And Mm. there's all sorts of crazy. I really, really, really hate Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Oh, oh, of course. Right. One of the great tragedies. And I hate Dark Shadows. Almost as much. So he really mm-hmm. fucked over two things you love, and then made movies that I adore. Absolutely, you know, it's just yeah. it's just black and white. It's just like mm-hmm. it's, and then he made Ed Wood, and he made Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and he made Beetlejuice, and he made movies that, and Frankenweenie, which I put right up. I love Frankenweenie. My children love The Corpse Bride, which yeah, that know, was a, like, that was a very cute. Yeah, movie. Yeah, my kids know. just adore it, so I love him for that. So it's very, it's like he just, I think when he's. I'll tell you both into, you know, I don't know them, but I I know this much. Mm. Planet of the Apes and Dark Shadows was, both of them were, he took a gig. Sure. Mm. Mercenary. Yeah, and when he's not telling an internal, something that moves him internally, he can't do it. Uh, My, he just can't. Yeah, it makes sense. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I just, I didn't hate it because I didn't like the source material as much. Mm. I didn't. I I never saw it. It was just kind of like, Movie, hmm. right? Can, I, I love the songs in the original one. So the idea hmm. of seeing the, the movie, yeah, uh, a, a, a Willy Wonka movie without this, those songs in it, it just didn't yeah. appeal to me. And it doesn't have Jack Albertson going, "Open it, Charlie! <laughs> <laughs> Open it, Charlie!" <laughs> Do you then, have that gear? Can you invest in something you don't care about? You know, the times I've tried it, when I left The Simpsons, I thought I'd just be a screenwriter and Mm. do stand-up for fun and work from home and Mm -hmm. have kids, and I kind of do that now, but uh, I do find that uh, if I'm not invested in it emotionally, I tend to... Put it off three or four years. Because <laughs> I heard on a Corolla, what you were, didn't you? Didn't you write a I wrote, Sigmund and the Sea yeah, Monsters? Yeah, I wrote the feature version of Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, and it took me like a decade <laughs> just because I just I would do anything to avoid sitting down and working uh, on that movie. Mm-hmm. Are there? Are, do we have enough Campbell's soup? <laughs> we should have four cans of soup per person. I haven't alphabetized the bathroom cleaning supplies. It's, it's, it's all that, yeah. Uh, what is Freud doing with a sea monster? <laughs> <laughs> and then occasionally Sid Croft would call you at home and go, I just saw the most amazing movie, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen The Boy with Green Hair with <laughs> Dean Stockwell? <laughs> he has green hair, Dana. That's Sigmund. And Scott... They have to love each other, Dana. I just put the phone down, go downstairs, make a sandwich, come back upstairs, pick up the phone. And then I saw the princess and the frog. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'll put the phone and come back. He's reading from his dream journal. I was was holding a wrench, but then it became a sandwich. Sandwich was was talking to me, and then I was at an airport with Tony Bennett. It's bad enough when Sid and Marty Croft are coming through your TV. I think it's weird that I don't know Tony Bennett, but he's in my dream. <laughs> it's not weird at all, Sid. Sid, I really have to go. <laughs> and his brother Marty couldn't be different. Did Sid call you Jesus fucking Christ? <laughs> Just finish the thing so I can get another fucking Cadillac. <laughs> I love I love Marty Croft. He's so great. <laughs> Fuck this bullshit. No, I don't uh, need you it. know what? I I knew you were working on that movie, and and. Was. And that is the and that is the operative term working. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> I, what I wondered at the time was was uh, did it 
did Land of the Lost kill it? Because Land of the yeah. Lost did so Well, it killed it, but I still had to finish it. So it was like uh, fucking a woman that died of a heart attack while you were <laughs> fucking her, but you still had to come. It's like, no, keep fucking her until you come. Well, she's dead. I know. So it's going to take me longer to come. Yeah, we understand that. So it really was this literally- your off-screen director? Yeah, gonna... literally Werner Herzog. It was literally an exercise in We'll futility. go with it. She's dead, but we'll go with it. My idea was funny, which was basically the movie was Gremlins with tentacles. They didn't oh. talk. They didn't wear aprons. Mm. They were animals. Mm. There sure. was two mean ones and a nice one, and mm. it was a kid's action comedy. It would have uh, been fun. It would have been funny, but the, yeah, the Land of the Lost Misfire sort mm. of, you know. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned yeah. Werner Herzog. It's funny. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> you that movie made. Contractually. He, he managed to do a Bad Lieutenant sequel. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. <laughs> With I, Nicolas Cage. Which is actually kind of enjoyable, but... It's like why? Who decided that that was a yeah. that was a markety, marketable brand? You know, we should do bad lieutenant bad... to Operation Miami Beach. <laughs> Batter lieutenant back in training. <laughs> back in training. <laughs> He's addicted that... to heroin again. <laughs> <laughs> He said the craziest thing. I brought this. I brought this up the other day to somebody. It really drove me insane. He was doing. He was being interviewed about the movie Grizzly Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, right. which is the sure. movie he made. And uh, and he goes. It was on NPR, and he goes, "You know, Terry uh, bears <laughs> six months of the year they sleep, they dream." do you know? <laughs> you don't know if bears dream. <laughs> Pretentious assholes. <laughs> they have many dreams of uh, honey bees <laughs> making honey and then the dogs chasing them with nets. <laughs> you don't know any of this. They dream robots chase them in motorboats. <laughs> you if he didn't have any. the accent, no one would let him get away with half that I stuff, know. I think. That movie is so disturbing when you hear that guy <laughs> That's really oh, when you see Herzog listening to the tape of him and going, yeah. "You must burn this. You've got, you've got to burn all this." That, that's a very disturbing. Yeah. Like, you must burn this. Anything that disturbs Werner Herzog, yeah. I don't want to hear. Or see under any circumstances. When you freak out a German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. That's like, Let's go back to work. Get to the train. <laughs> this is a guy who was making a movie and like an army of monkeys descended on the cast, and he's like, "Go with this. It's perfect." You know, and like, but this tape it's, is too much. This is, this is a terrible thing. It's not like dragging a boat over a mountain. This is a terrible thing. <laughs> it's not like dragging a boat over a mountain. There's a reverence. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking that too. I can just do the comedy nerds. <laughs> you Another the... Fitzgerald reference. This, this show's insane. You just crashed Google with people trying to type it in. Uh, by the way, this weekend I'm, le- I'm uh, in the shows. I'll be working on my lawns, Vaughn, tree or chunk. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Uh, my wife, giant Lars von Trier fan. Huh? My wife, giant Lars von Trier oh, really? fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You say yes. that. You say that with, with an eye roll. I've had to go to every Lars von Trier movie. <laughs> oh, another one. Sometimes I feel like his he's just making a giant performance piece where everyone has to sit through all his movies. It's just it's like Creemaster. Uh, everything he makes is like hanging out with Chloe Sevigny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Less nudity usually. Well, what's funny about Chloe Sevigny is that I know her brother Pete Savigny. <laughs> that's not a lie really oh, <laughs> yeah that's true wow Pete Savigny's sister's an actress who Chloe Sevigny <laughs> oh Savigny would never have worked for an actress name <laughs> no I guess not she wouldn't have got that brown bunny spot if she had the Savigny oh name. the brown bunny mm. That even sounds gross. That just sounds like something. If you see one chick blowing a scary Mancini guy movie this year, (laughs) make it something other than the brown butt. So, are are you working on a new hour? By the way, here's a little uh, uh, transitionless gear shift. I think I've done it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Uh, no, the show. A lot of new stuff this week. Yeah, no, this is the new hour. I'm I'm just it's it's pretty much done, and I'm just figuring out now when I'm going to shoot it, where I'm going to shoot it, and. Pretty soon, you thinking or? Yeah, ironically, uh, just before I literally walked over here tonight, they said, "You want to do it December thirteenth in Boston?" (laughs) I was like, "No, Boston is the one place I don't want to do it." Every Mm -hmm. single hillbilly with my last Mm -hmm. name will show up. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but no, it'll be out next year. 
I'll film it and release it next year. Sure, that's on a pretty quick pace from the uh, from the last one. Well, I'm no. Louis C.K. writes a new hour every 30 minutes. But, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, he writes I it quicker the than the actual time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I do, but I do the best I can. <laughs> uh, I, I try. Yeah, and so you said when you when you when you quit uh, the Simpsons, you, you, you're going to stand up for fun. Did you not think you were going to keep like recording hours necessarily? No, you thought you were just going to be like just in L.A. Not, yeah, not... just have fun. And then I had a, but I was, I got very. Just like, you know, I wasn't enjoying, I, was, I had a couple screenwriting assignments and mm. I just, I thought I'd just be this other guy, not to get serious, but I just thought I'd be this other guy. Sure. And then I very, and I kind of like got, I just kept putting it off, like, because I didn't want to do it. And then I had a really brilliant therapist um, who said to me, who I still see, um, so like, do you think anybody would buy Steve Martin's novel? If it wasn't by Steve Martin. No. And I said, no, having read it. Hmm. He goes, no, it's like, because he's Steve Martin. And, you know, he's Steve Martin. And you do stand-up, and that allows you to do all these other things. Right. But you can't take away the nuclear rod that powers mm. everything else that you do. You right. have to honor that, and you have it's to do that. It's the same thing as, like, would you go to see uh, Joyce Carol Oates do stand-up if it weren't for her novels? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and that was really, like, and then I, I kind of, like, recommitted to doing it, and I felt, like, instantly like myself again. It's like, Interesting. oh, yeah. I think that's an impulse people have all the time, though, uh, to, to be another guy. Not in a, not like in a huge yeah. existential way, but it's like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just quit drinking and start exercising more, and then I'll yeah. just get this job, and then in your mind, your mind, like in the next week, I'll be that guy. Yeah, yeah. But That's hard not. to do, it's though, like right? Always, yeah. It's like a, a, a mental geographical, you know. Yeah. They call it geographicals when you think, oh, if I move to San Francisco, if I move some, then my life will be happy. Then I'll be right. like, all I got to do is get out of this town. And, and living in a, and that's like you do that to yourself mentally. Yeah. All I got to do is become this other person that I think would be a happy person, and and then it'll be great. Yeah, that's true. And you can't. Yeah. It it it's not to uh, throw down a sweaty old trope, but wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. No, it <clears throat> can't escape yourself. What? What? So you thought you were just going to be like semi-retired writer guy, basically? No, I thought it'd be a full-time screenwriter and. Uh, and I, for fun, I'd go out and do Largo in L.A., yeah. but and I just realized that I didn't enjoy it. Was it hard to enjoy stand-up? Was it hard to enjoy it when you weren't doing it as much? Like, did you feel disconnected from it? Yes, and that made me feel not like myself. Right. It, it almost seems like I, I, I've always had a hard time understanding comics who do it sporadically. I'm like, how do you do it sometimes? It, for me, it's yeah. like repetitive. Well, well I've I been doing... Oh, I'm so, no, go no, ahead. go. You go. Well, I was saying I know comics in L.A., and I'm sure you do, too, that... Um, you know, that in the 80s or whatever, the, the comedy boom, um, were really accomplished, um, successful comedians. And then for whatever reason, or they became TV writers or whatever, or and the boom ended, and then they drifted away from it. And I know so many of them who just would love to get back into it and they and they yeah. don't they don't know how you know yeah sure. yeah that's hard I, I know people like that harder to start the second time than the first in a way right what are you gonna go to yeah. open mics <laughs> rich scheidner i mean the whole that's, documentary that's exactly yeah sure rich scheidner yeah, yeah the whole documentary i am comic is sort of about mm. that and it's very yeah it's great at the end when he kind of has a new chunk that yeah. works yeah i saw him at comedy and magic a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago and it was oh, like oh funny. look there's doing a set He's, yeah. it was nice it was and like he seeing was in the epilogue you know, in, the, in the comedy boom years he was like a powerful headliner. oh yeah he was he he killed wherever he went yeah yeah he was he was a force to be reckoned with yeah. what was he doing for a living what was it like, no i don't know uh, i think he was writing or something. yeah that's what i don't know like what do the people do <laughs> what do people do yeah. that was your problem right you didn't know what yeah. people did when you weren't I doing make it. money Dana, Frank, any final thoughts? Final references, obscure references you want to throw out there to confuse people? Sammy Petrillo. <laughs> Duke Mitchell. <laughs> Your Google assignment for the day. All right. Well, hey, Dana Gould, Frank Conniff, thanks for stopping by the No Laugh Track podcast. Thank you for right. letting me uh, horn in on this. A horn away. We were glad to have you horn, Frank. Dana, good to see you as always. Nice to hear horn away used in a non-sexual uh, context. <laughs> no, I meant it sexually. Though. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Brian Miller for No Laugh Track. Uh, come back and see us next week, everybody.